Heavenly Father, we come before you with joy in our hearts to be able to gather in this building together as the church to bring worship and praise and honor to you. Thank you, Father, for your word that you've given us to guide our steps, direct our paths. Help us to learn from it today. Help us to know the truth that is found there and live it out. Bless this message this morning and our time together. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, as most of you know, I've been preaching over at Kearneysville during the 9 o'clock hour. And uh, Pastor Van had mentioned last week that they were going to be voting um, and last Sunday was an important uh, day in their history. And there was a vote to leave the PCUSA. And uh, it was basically unanimous. There was one no. And the reason for the one no was he didn't want to pay the money that they wanted to leave the PCUSA. And he wanted to argue it and get it lower. Um, but he certainly wanted to leave. So uh, they are going forward with that. Unfortunately, the timing of that um, The PCUSA board meets quarterly, and uh, they gave them the uh, agreements, and they've agreed to that, but the next time they meet won't be until November. So it'll be a little bit before they're actually out of the PCUSA, but then we did present to them a draft of an agreement for fellowship to come alongside and and what that agreement would look like. Our board of elders need to uh, tweak that a little bit and fix it, and then they'll vote on that so you can keep in prayer for Kearneysville as uh, we're excited to see them come out of the PCUSA and become a little Bible church in Kearneysville, West Virginia. So remember them in prayer. This last week we had a, a VBS at Kearneysville um, and we had 13 kids come out to the VBS, which was exciting. Uh, There's no children in the church at this point, so that was a big deal. And uh, we had six people from Kearneysville, six adults from Kearneysville come and help with the VBS and considering there's about 20 people there now, that's 30% of the congregation. So next year in camps, I expect 30%, no, no, you guys do great with camps, thank you for that. Um, But during the camp, um, there was three of the kids that I got to pray with that um, needed assurance of their salvation. They had trusted Christ before, but there's one little boy named Will who uh, prayed with me for the very first time to accept Jesus as his Savior. I'm excited about that. He's from an unchurched home, um, wanting to come to church. So just pray that uh, God will bring bring the right people involved there and that this little boy will be able to be um, mentored and and grow and mature in his knowledge of his personal Savior um, for that. But... There is a, there's a couple of stable guys uh, at the church, and, and it's easy for me to remember their names because I'm terrible with names, but it's, it's Bob and Larry. So, <laughs> so Larry had a birthday. He turned 66 years old while we were at camp, and it was really sweet. All the kids sang happy birthday to him, made him feel good. It was really special, but it made me think about birthdays and how, how we think about birthdays, and it kind of reveals how we think about aging with, with birthdays. You know that the only time in our lives, at least most of us, who really look forward to getting older is when you're a kid. Um, you know, if you ask a little, little boy, a little girl, how old are they? And they'll say, well, I'm five. 
and a half. You know, they got to throw that extra in there trying to get older. And, and you know, when you're that young, you're excited and looking forward to becoming double digits. I call them a double digit midget. Ten years old. Wow. How exciting that is. And they get to ten. And immediately when they're ten, they're not thinking about being ten anymore. They want to be a teenager. Thirteen. Because then they've arrived. Right? Thirteen. And it rolls around really quickly, but to them it seems it's forever. But they turn 13. And immediately, they're not thinking about 13 anymore. They want to be 16. can drive. You're growing up. And 16 rolls around. But before 16 hits, something happens from 13 to 16. They start skipping years. If you ask a 14-year-old how old he is, they'll normally say, well, I'm almost 16. But 16 hits, and they want to be 18. Keep pushing. We keep pushing. You've got to be an adult. 18, all right. 18 arrives, and they realize they're not quite an adult. So they want to be 21. And very soon after that, they turn 21. And then they have arrived. You became 21. But not for long. Soon you turn 30. (laughs) And you wondered where the time went. Next thing you know, you're pushing 40. And not long after that, you reach 50. Strange, this progression of age. This time you become 21. You turn 30. You're pushing 40. You reach 50. Then you make it to 60. By that point, you have so much momentum that you hit 70. (laughs) After that, you're just simply in your 80s. If you make it past that point, it starts kind of working backwards. You say, when somebody asks you how old you are when you're in your 90s, well, I was 92 last year, or was it 93? And then if you're one of the very select few who make it to that century mark, you start thinking like a kid again. Someone asks you how old you are, you say, I'm 101 and a half. (laughs) Well, as many of you know, this summer my daughter got married, Megan. I'm still in awe of that. In the last four years, three of my children have gotten married. I'm too young for that. How'd that happen? One, my oldest has a child to your, I'm a grandpa. Wow. How time progresses. How things go quickly. And as time goes and life changes and pressures and problems, sometimes you just wish you were a kid again. And those carefree times. Well, perhaps the pressures and problems of life have led to you to make some bad decisions. Some decisions that you know are displeasing to God. And perhaps because of that you feel unworthy or useless to God. Not as good as somebody else. 
And then you say, well, I need to take care of these things in my life. And when I take care of these things in my life, then I'll serve in the church. Then I'll really work for God. Then I'll make sure that I'm right with God. Somehow we feel the shame and the the problems of life that have gotten us down and we let them hinder us from being what God would have us be because we don't feel worthy. Even sometimes when we've confessed these sins and we've taken them to the cross and we've made right with God, but we haven't forgiven ourselves and we struggle. Well, that's what I want to look at today. There's a book called uh, Shame Interrupted by Edmund Welch that I want to take some of my thoughts from today. And, and he defined shame as a deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did, something done to you, or something associated with you. You feel exposed and humiliated. Well, today, if this is something that you can identify with, if it's something you can relate to, or if you know somebody that maybe struggles with feeling unworthy, I want to give you some hope today. I want you to be humbled, but not humiliated. And I want you to be cleansed by your heavenly Father. We're going to take a look at John chapter 21 this morning, verses 1 through 19. And we're going to concentrate. It's interesting to me how we can look at the same passage of Scripture a few times and always get something new from it, how God does that for us, revealing himself. This morning, I want to kind of concentrate on Peter through this story. Uh, you remember Peter, the disciple. He was the, the poor fisherman and uneducated that God called to himself. He was actually the first disciple called. It was He was fishing all night on a lake with his partners, James and John, and they caught nothing all night. And he's washing the nets out. And Jesus comes and he's teaching the multitude that's there. He actually steps into Peter's boat while he's teaching. And when he's done teaching, he tells Peter, let's push off into the deep and cast your net down. And Peter says, well, you know, I've been fishing all night. We ain't caught anything, but okay, if you say so, I'll do it. And they push off into the deep and he drops his net down. And it's so full of fish, he can't pull it in. And he has to call James and John. They bring their boat over and they fill both boats full of fish. And they go back to the shore. And Jesus says, Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And he kind of commissions him. This is the call of Peter to follow Jesus. And Peter does. He leaves that life behind and he follows Christ. And for three years of Christ's ministry public on earth, he's there listening, learning, growing what Christ has to offer. Peter, the rock on which Jesus said he'd build his church. Peter, the one who, when Jesus said, I'm not going to be with you much longer. And he tells him what's going to happen. He says, no, I would die for you. But Jesus turns to him and says, Peter, 
this very night you will deny me three times. And we know from John chapter 18, Peter standing by a charcoal fire warming himself when Jesus was taken in to be questioned. And they come to him and say, hey, aren't you one of his? No, no, that's not me. No, 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 I, I can tell by, aren't you? No, it's not me. Three times. And then the rooster crows and he's reminded of what Jesus told him. Peter, the man who said he would die in his place, he would die for him, has now denied him three times. Well, now we pick up the story where Jesus has been resurrected. And Jesus has appeared to the disciples twice so far. And this is the the account of the third time. So follow along with me, please, as we read chapter 21. 1 through 19. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now... They were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him who you are. They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breaking, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, You know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, 
You used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Well, this morning from this passage, I want to pull three reminders to get you back on track. Three reminders if you are struggling with unworthiness or uselessness and unable to forgive yourself. Three things that Jesus did here with Peter to remind us to get back on track. The first is a reminder that we need to remember that you have a purpose. Remember that you have a purpose. Fishing on the lake. That's what Peter was doing. They were fishing on this lake. It's kind of interesting. Um, Of course, we have the first recording of them fishing when he was called. We only have one other recording of of Peter fishing, and that is when they needed the tax money uh, for the temple. And Jesus told him to go catch a fish, and he catches a fish and pulls out a coin, pays their tax. And now we have him fishing again. It's kind of interesting to think about why was he fishing? He had seen the risen Savior on two occasions who had died and rose again, paid the price for sins. He used to be a fisher of men. Why wasn't he out sharing the gospel with everybody? We're not really given the answer to that question. Now, the Holy Spirit hadn't come in yet. And, and later he tells them to wait until the Holy Spirit comes. Maybe he just didn't have anything else to do. Maybe it was because he felt unworthy because he denied his Lord three times. And what use was he? But he knew how to fish. So he went out fishing. But I think there's a clear connection here that we can't miss between a long night of fishing, not catching any fish, and the Lord coming and telling him to cast his nets, and then an amazing catch. The first time was his call. This poor fisherman, uneducated, called by the Lord to be his disciple. And this time, the same poor fisherman, unworthy, reminded of his call. There's no way Peter could have missed what had happened before and what was happening then. It all had to come flooding back to him of the time when he first met Jesus and he told him to follow him. Jesus was reminding him of his purpose. Go catch men, not fish. Even though he felt unworthy, even though he didn't feel strong enough. And you know, when you know Jesus, this makes perfect sense. He is strong in our weakness. But he doesn't ask Peter to do anything special to make up for what he did wrong. He's not telling him to, well, you've got to prove yourself to me now for a while before I'm going to commission you to do anything for me again. That's how I might think. You let me down. You betrayed me. Yeah, well, I'm just going to watch you for a little while. Not our Lord. Not Jesus. See, Peter was remorseful. Peter had already confessed his sin. Peter never had one-on-one time yet to know where he kind of stood with the Lord. I, I can imagine what that felt like. 
But I think Peter was weighted with the guilt and the unworthiness of what he had done, his shame. But God reminds him he has a purpose. And so do we. God made you with a purpose. Do you feel like you've blown it at some point? Do you feel unworthy? God loves you. I want you to know that deep, deep down. Don't question God's love for you. Confess your sins to the Almighty God. And as the song that we sang said, my sin, not in part, but in whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Sometimes we want to carry around these sins that we've confessed before our God and it hinders our relationship with God. We need to leave it at the cross. We need to remember that God made you for a purpose. You're to glorify and praise him and he has plans for you. And you are worthy to him when you are in a right standing with him. God loves you and wants to restore you. He's calling you back to him. There's no lines. There's no waiting. You're next. Will you respond? Well, the second thing is he reminds us that we need to remember God's power. Remember God's power. I want to talk about this charcoal fire. It's kind of an interesting little thing. It's only recorded in John 18, 18, where Peter denied Christ warming himself next to this charcoal fire. And now on the beach, when they're coming in from this amazing catch, it says there's a charcoal fire. Same word was used in both places. Smell is is an amazing thing. It's one of those senses that, you know, it's really hard from memory to evoke a smell. Maybe if it's a really strong thing, you can kind of, but when you smell something, how quickly it can take you somewhere from memory. Yesterday, um, at Rich Beto's house, I went over to his house because he has uh, the car that I'll be driving in the demolition derby there and working on it, taking stuff off. So I went over to the shop to, to help him work on the car. Well, when I walked into his shop, I smelled the grease and the oil and the dirt and that unique odor took me back to when I was 18, 19, 20, 21 because see my last years of high school and and my four years of college I worked full time at a garage and a tire shop changing tires, doing brake jobs doing exhaust jobs And I wasn't expecting it, but when I walked in there and I I smelled, it was exactly that smell. And flash in my head was the shop, and I could see where all the tools were and where the bays were and where the tire changer was. And I hadn't thought about that in years, but it was all right there. Smell has an amazing way of bringing up memory. And I dare to say that Peter, denying Christ standing next to a charcoal fire that has a unique smell, when he would smell that smell, would have to bring that memory back. 
But the power of God is at display here. Because I don't think that Jesus is trying to make him remember his denial. I think he's giving him something new to associate with that smell. Because now, the smell of the charcoal fire is having breakfast with the risen Savior. Being with his Lord in a new way. God has a way of taking things from our past and making them into something beautiful that he can use. God can change things that we identify with and make it something good if we let him. Because I can almost guarantee that if you would look to your left, look to your right, forward or backwards, you're going to see a whole bunch of people who's blown it and have done something that they know that their God would be displeased with and perhaps even still struggling with some of those ways. But our risen Savior took care of those things if we let him. He has the power to change lives. He's in the business of changing lives. So now this smell has a new, new thing associated with it. It's positive. And God wants to do things in our life to change how we think about things to his glory and to his honor if we'll let him. So remember that you have a purpose. And remember God's power. And then remember God's provision. We have the eating of the fish and the bread. They're coming in from hauling this load and already the fish and the bread are just there. It's got to remind you of another pretty amazing story of fish and bread that Jesus did. The feeding of the 5,000. Probably one of his most significant, uh, arguably one of his most significant uh, miracles that he performed. It also reminds us of the feeding of the Israelites in the desert with bread coming from heaven. God saying, trust me, I'll provide for you. The people needed food. He provided, fed the 5,000. He can provide for them. The disciples are wondering what's going to happen now that Jesus is God. He's showing I I will provide for you. Trust me, I will provide for you. God's provision can't be missed. But also this this miracle of feeding the 5,000 was then followed up immediately by uh, the next day. He talks to the crowd that, that are chasing him down and he tells them, you need to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. What? That was a hard teaching. And many that had followed him at that point no longer followed him. They stopped. And even the disciples had trouble with this saying, trying to understand what he meant by eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Well, I think even here, there's even closure brought to that meaning. See, Jesus provided a very costly meal. A meal to which... They need to bring nothing. They can come empty because it was already paid for. It was paid for with his body and his blood. Empty is that feeling that we have with uselessness, with unworthiness. Jesus is saying, drink of the blood. 
His death brings life. He provides life through him. His resurrection provides forgiveness of sin. The empty can be satisfied in Jesus. They have everything they could ever need. Understanding what he did at the cross and asking them to join in with him, they understood what we do with the Lord's Supper and remembering what he had done. But furthermore here, he kind of follows it up to make this point. We have this encounter now one-on-one with Peter and Jesus. Can kind of vision, they're done with breakfast and, and Jesus says, hey Peter, let's take a walk. I can imagine the awkwardness that Peter might have at that moment of... Okay, we haven't really been alone. I've denied him. It's been right, but let's see. It also reminds me of Adam and Eve in the garden. In the cool of the day, God would come and he'd walk with them in the garden. But after Adam and Eve sinned, after they ate of the apple, after they blew it, and God came to walk in the cool of the day with them, they hid. I can imagine Peter wanting to hide. He's on a beach. It's not really good hiding places on a beach. So he's walking with the Lord and Jesus turns to him and says, Peter, do you love me? Well, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Well, feed my lambs. So far, that's going pretty good. Right? But then he turns to him and says, Peter, do you love me? And a third time, Peter, do you love me? I think it's interesting, this three. And I'm not sure if Peter got the significance of the three denials with the three, do you love me? But I think it's interesting to think about. Basically, Jesus is telling him, hey, I love you and we're good. Do you love me? Are you ready to serve again. Well, I can see Peter like, well, you know, before I said I'd die for you and then I denied you. I don't, I don't. Do you love me? Do you love me? Then just follow me. Follow me. That's what he's asking of Peter. That's what he's asking of us. Follow me. Do you love me? Can you answer that question? Do you love me? And if your answer is yes, I want to ask you why. Think about that. Why do you love Jesus? Those answers will reveal a lot about where you're at. Trust Him. Understand that you were made with a purpose. And He desires the right relationship with you. And He will fulfill all the emptiness. And none of us are worthy on our own. It is only because of what Christ did and the high price that he paid through his power that we are right before a holy God. And understand your position of being right. It's a great place to be, to be at peace with a holy God because of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then I don't have to bear those sins. I don't have to bear the burdens of that. I want to be humble about what I did. I want to ask for forgiveness for my sins But I don't need to carry them in guilt and shame and hinder me from doing what God has called me to do. 
because he will give me the power and he will provide what I need if we will trust him and leave it at the cross. Be the men, be the women that God is calling you to be and follow him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time and your word and and the examples that you give us and how you teach us. Father, Satan would love to hinder our, our work for you and to make us feel unworthy. I pray that if there's anybody here struggling in some way of of not feeling good enough, not feeling worthy, that they will make sure they confess their sins before you and then leave them with you, that you have paid the price. It was a high price. So we need to leave them there and know that you restore us and that we need to go and sin no more. We need to follow you. Father, help us. Give us that strength. Give us your power. Give us your provision that we might follow you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.